you know the expression that there's only two things in life that are certain well there's three death taxes and tom brady in the championship game again for the ninth time in 10 years and the only time he missed it was last year when brady didn't give an f belichick didn't give an f it's like unbelievable and the dude has been there for 14 times now in the championship game that's as many championship titles that tiger woods has brady's been to the afc and now the nfc championship game 14 times in his career nine over the past 10 of them the only time he missed was last year unbelievable and it's just absolutely miraculous what this man has been able to do over his career. But I'm not going to lather his career. I'm not going to uh, salivate over his career. We all know what kind of career he's had. But I do want to talk about Brady and the Bucks against New Orleans on Sunday for this early segment of Quick Hits. Quick hits. I'm going to be talking about the division round playoffs and the Celtics getting massacred by the New York Knickerbockers. So... First game that we had on Saturday was the Los Angeles Rams versus the Green Bay Packers. And I do have a few notes or takeaways from that game real quick. Aaron Donald was clearly injured, even though the team reported that he was fine with no restrictions. You could easily tell that Donald was not out there all too often. He was not 100% playing whenever he was on the field. You could see him grimacing on the sideline. And when the Rams needed to get defensive stops, they couldn't get him. And he wasn't even on the field to attempt to get those stops. So there's clearly something going on with Donald that the Rams were keeping under the covers. Aaron Rodgers looked incredible yet again, proving why he's the MVP of the 2020 NFL season. There was a good debate between him, Mahomes, Allen a little bit. But Allen definitely fell off when Mahomes and Rodgers took off. And I think Rodgers, I know the regular season and the playoffs are two separate things, especially when it comes to the MVP discussion. But... And Rodgers proved again why he is the league MVP for the 2020 season. Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in the National Football League. That's just a fact, not an opinion. I mean, look at his stats, and he missed a couple games on top of that. There's tons of great wide receivers out there this league has, but Devontae Adams had an incredible season. Obviously, it helps with that he has Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball. But nonetheless, Devontae Adams proved yet again why he is the best wide receiver in the National Football League for the 2020 NFL season. Green Bay's defense has been good as it ever has been in a long time. I mean, that defense can get stops. They can um, play the run. They can play the pass. Their front seven looks good. Their secondary looks good. I can't remember a time that the Green Bay defense looked this good. Um, I'm not a big Green Bay fan, obviously, so I can't really recall uh, which years they were good and which years weren't. But I know the year that they won the Super Bowl, over 10 years ago, they had an excellent killer defense, and I think that this defense might be better than that, but um, I digress. Next game we had on Saturday was the Buffalo Bills, uh, the Baltimore Ravens versus the Buffalo Bills, excuse me. Um, it was 17-3. to That game was the most boring playoff game I think I've ever seen in a long time, and granted, the Patriots had a pretty boring Super Bowl themselves versus the Rams, 13-3, to but you know that's my hometown team that I'm rooting for, so it wasn't all too boring for me. However, being an outside fan looking in, this 17-3 game just progressed and played out very, very boringly. Uh, I could have took a nap, to be honest, and missed nothing. But 
I was able to see that Lamar's Jackson passing abilities are yet again exposed. Um, the offense couldn't get anything going. The ground game, the passing game, the trick plays, the uh, play action bootlegs, you name it, they couldn't do anything against that Buffalo defense. And Buffalo, again, proving a reason why they um, have a legitimate defense. And um, they were able to stop the run. A lot of critics, a lot of media members were saying that they couldn't stop the run, that their strength is in the secondary. But, boy, were they able to stop the run this time around. And it was uh, pretty good to see that the Bills held the Ravens um, high rushing attack, whatever you want to call them, to only three points. That Buffalo defense might stand a chance against Kansas City if Mahomes isn't playing, but I'll get to that in a moment. Josh Allen has become a legitimate quarterback, um, arguably a top 10 quarterback right now in the NFL, and has progressed every year since he's gone into the league his rookie season a couple of years ago. Um, he had a lot of raw potential, insane arm strength, and he was just a running, scrambling quarterback with no accuracy, and he's proved in um, improved every single year since his rookie season and he's really developed into an actual quarterback and him Stefan Diggs scary duo let me tell you but um Cleveland Kansas City what a game that might have been one of the craziest games that we had this weekend and um Chiefs ended up winning 22 to 17 the big storyline there is Patrick Mahomes got knocked out of that game and he Ended up being ruled out with a concussion, and his status for the championship game this Sunday is in question, which I alluded to when I was talking about the Bills' defense. If the Chiefs don't have Mahomes, that game is definitely a toss-up. If the Chiefs have Mahomes, Kansas City's probably going to win that game. However, regardless of Mahomes' uh, status, if he's able to play or not, that's going to be a good game nonetheless. And even if Mahomes is good to go, how good is he going to be? He has a concussion. It's hard to get over a concussion in just seven days, six days, whatever you want to call it. And he has to be careful for his long-term health. I even said um, during the game on Sunday that if Mahomes is cleared to come back to play against the Browns, he should not. I mean, that kind of hit that he took, and did you see him get up? He thought he was in freaking Canada. He thought it was Super Bowl like 71 when he got up and tried to um, brush it off. But you could clearly tell that he had no idea where he was. You could see in his eyes and his jiggly legs. But um, that is the storyline leaving that game. The Kansas City offense is unstoppable with Mahomes, which everyone kind of knows about. Um, their offense looked really good. And you can tell that they weren't kicking it into that second gear that that offense can kick it into. And they were still pushing the ball down the field. And I do have to shout out the Browns defense for holding them to a lot of field goals that game to make it relatively um, a close game for the Browns to even be in a position to come back to potentially win. Browns leaving points on the board. I really thought there was a couple times they should have went for two, but they only went for one, which, I mean, if you want to look back at it, do the math. It's a toss-up whether it's a smart play or not to go for two or for one. But the big points that they left on the board was that fumble at the goal line where the ball rolled out of bounds in the end zone. That was a killer, and if you look back at it, that's the difference. They get that six points, they win the game. That's brutal. I was pulling for the Browns to win because, I don't know, I'm just kind of sick of the Chiefs, and the Browns had an insane storyline all season, you know, being doubted, haven't been to the playoffs, haven't won the playoffs in, you know, decades. But um, they made it to the playoffs, they won a playoff game, and they danced with the Chiefs. Even when Mahomes was still in the game, they were playing with him. But um, when Mahomes went out, though, and Chad Henney went in to be the backup quarterback and to finish the game, the Chiefs got bold. Let me tell you, they got bold and risky. Um, Henney 
converting big plays uh, to seal the dub when the Chiefs had the ball with like you know three four minutes to go, rolling out, throwing to tight windows, scrambling for extra yards. It was, it was something good to watch, and you know that's a good thing for the Chiefs that they have a quarterback that can step up and fill in Patrick Mahomes' role, to a certain degree. Obviously, he's no Mahomes, and we can clearly see that that terrible interception he threw in the end zone. Oh my goodness, I think Mahomes concussed would have made a better throw, but. It's, you know, if you don't have Mahomes next week against the um, the Buffalo Bills, you do have a solid backup quarterback that can fill that role to a degree, like I said. Either way, whether Mahomes plays or Mahomes doesn't, that's going to be a good game that a lot of people are going to watch. And I think a lot of people are rooting for the Bills, to be honest. But let me know what you think. If you're watching on YouTube, comment down below if you want the Bills or the Chiefs or if you want the Packers or the Bucks for uh, Sunday's. Um, championship yeah, Sunday, but the game of the weekend, the Bucks versus the Saints, Breeze versus Brady. The Bucks win thirty to twenty. Both offenses defenses had their good and bad stretches throughout the entire game. Bucks defense looked really nice. Saints defense looked nice at times. Vice versa, Saints offense looked nice. Um, the Bucks offense looked nice at times, of course. But the only time the Saints offense looked really good was probably the first quarter when they had those first two drives when they settled for field goals. And the Bucks defense held down the fourth. They bent and didn't break. That's just the epitome of um, you know playoff defense really is, you know, if you have a high-powered offense, you got to be able to bend and don't break. If you bend and break, you're not going to win the game. And the Bucks were able to win the game while the Saints weren't because their insane defense bent and broke. So, most importantly, though, the Bucks were able to make timely defensive plays by getting stops in the red zone and getting turnovers, which the Saints weren't able to do. As we could see, um, the Saints had three turnovers in that game, which, being a two-possession game, that's the difference of the game right there. So, you got to protect the ball. You can't throw the ball into um, wide-open defenders, and you can't force, you can't conduct turnovers and expect to win the game, especially in the playoffs versus a uh, pretty good Bucks team, as we can kind of tell. It was a flag-heavy game. I mean, I don't know if you noticed when I was watching it, it was like every damn play, flag, flag, flag. It's like, dude, come on. You know you can't do that. Stop getting these penalties and, you know, the refs, you know, letting them play to a degree. There was one ticky-tack push-off that I didn't think was necessary, but they still called the flag. It's just like, ugh. This stuff ruins the game, all these flags. And um, that little thump that you heard was my head hitting the microphone because these flags are so annoying. It just slows down the game. It turns a three-hour game into a three-and-a-half-hour game. And in a game this close, you don't mind it, but it's just like, ugh, another flag, another flag. But anyways, Drew Brees clearly did not have his best game, um, which is also a storyline in itself along with Brady going to his you know umpteenth championship game but that could have been Drew Brees' last game as a um as a quarterback uh he hasn't made an announcement yet whether he's got what he's going to do similar situation last year he's going to take some time to think about it as he rightfully should being 42 years old he has you know wife and three kids that Brady you know, threw a touchdown pass to to one of uh, Breeze's kids. It was a cute little moment there. If you haven't seen the video, definitely check it out. It's just a touching moment between two great human beings that are very competitive, but you know they put humanity first, and you can tell that they're you know good friends. Um, 
playing each other three times this year was fun to watch. The Saints got the better of them twice. But Brady got the best of Breeze when it mattered, and that's all that matters. That's all that really matters is showing up when you need to show up to play. And um, I hope that it's not Breeze's last game. I love watching him play. He had a, I know he you know broke some ribs, the punctured lung. He had a down season, though. I don't want to say it's because of the injury, but that's definitely probably the reason why and probably something he's going to consider when he contemplates retirement. Like I said, I hope he doesn't retire. I understand if he does. I think he will, but, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see and see what he does. But um, that's my recap, my takeaway from the NFL Divisional Round this weekend. It was awesome. They're full of good games, except the Ravens and Bills, because that game just sucked. But I do want to get over to one more quick hit, and that's the Celtics getting 30-pieced by the New York Knickerbockers. Boy, do the Celtics suck against the Knicks. And the Knicks are a young team. They got a lot of good young pieces, but they're not there yet. And the Celtics, who are in championship mode, who are trying to win now, even though they're a little bit away, can't get 30-piece by the Knicks. You can't get 30-piece in general. I get it's going to happen every now and then to a good team or whatever. But to the Knicks, my guy, come on. It's just like, how many times are you going to take these easy games or what you would think are easy games and just get absolutely obliterated whether you're home or away it shouldn't matter where you are you shouldn't be losing by 30 to a lottery team that's just the difference between getting the four seed the three seed the two seed and the one seed in the eastern conference eastern conference is pretty much open i mean i know i talked about the Harden nets trade but i mean that's just an um, implosion waiting to happen. The Bucks are there. The Heat are there. But it's still anyone's, you know, conference to grab, really. You just got to go on a nice stretch, win a couple games, win the ones that matter for the tiebreakers. And just, I don't know. I don't think the Celtics have it this year. Obviously, I want them to be able to win another championship. But losing 30 to the Knicks or losing by 30 to any team really isn't isn't going to cut it. ain't going to get it done, whether it's in the standings or in the Eastern Conference. But, okay. Those were my quick hits. I know it kind of took up almost 15 minutes. But, I'm going to get into the topic box. And, let's see. I threw a few more topics in here. So, we do have some fresh new topics that I want to get to. Hopefully, we get to it. But, let's see. <laughs> Why? <laughs> this one's funny. Why Major League Baseball is dying and here's how to save it. Okay. This one is kind of obvious um yeah baseball's the dying sport we all can kind of tell that the ratings are down the games are long i was talking about the saints bucks games being a three and a half hour game and what are you more likely able to watch a three and a half hour football game or a three and a half hour baseball game i don't know about you but i'd rather sit and watch the football game now if it's game seven of the world series damn make that thing four and a half hours i'll sit and watch but uh, it's baseball the dying sport because the pitchers on the mound take forever to throw the ball. They throw the pitch. Catcher catches it. Throws it back. Pitcher catches it. Takes his cap off. Rubs his sweat. Walks around the mound three, four times. Puts the cap back on. Glove in his armpit. Rubs the ball. Um, adjusts his cup. Scratches butt. Put the glove back on. Blow into his hand. 
um, kind of flick and twirl the ball in his hand, gets on the rubber, looks into the catcher, shakes off the first pitch, shakes off the second pitch, steps off, gets back into the rubber, blows into the hand, wipes the sweat, looks into the catcher, shakes off the first pitch, agrees onto the second pitch. And then the batter calls time. It's like, oh my goodness, guys, just get the ball and throw it. And like, there's countless people who have gone on tyrants and rants about this. And that is probably one of the reasons why baseball is a dying sport. I mean, the game is so slow and they have attempted to take measures to speed it up, but those measures suck. I don't know if anyone's been to any minor league games for the Paw Sox or whoever, the Yard Goats in Hartford. But they got a pitch clock. They got a, I think it was a 20-second pitch clock. It might have been down to 15. I don't remember. And that works great. You get in and out in two and a half hours because you only have so much time to catch the ball, to blow your hand, fix your cleats, scratch your butt, read the sign, throw the pitch. I mean, you only got 20 seconds, and otherwise it's going to be a ball. And obviously in a game where every pitch kind of matters, you can't be you know kind of giving up free balls. So... I think that's the first step, and I know Major League Baseball has contemplated and talked about adding this feature into the game, and all the pitchers hate it because they just want to take their sweet time. You've heard David Price on the record saying, like, oh, you know, I can take as long as I want to throw the ball or or something like that. It's like, yes, but no. Like, I mean, I understand that you're out there, you're being paid to pitch, and you're going to do whatever you can to pitch to the best of your ability. Okay, fine. However, in a fan-driven market, a consumer-driven market, which pretty much all sports are, you have to be accommodating to the fans. And I don't know about you, but if you see the pitcher shake off another pitch, get set, and then the batter calls time and we got to repeat the process again, it's just like two minutes, two, three minutes in between each pitch in a game that there's like 200 pitches thrown, probably over 200 pitches thrown. I mean... No one has time for that. No one, and especially when the baseball season is so long, it's 162 games. You just don't have time to sit there and watch all 162 games for three and a half hours watching the pitchers adjust their cup. Like, come on. <laughs> like, pick it up. Like, let's go. Let's go. And um, I think the relief pitcher rule is a smart addition where a relief pitcher has to come in. You have to throw the three batters minimum unless the inning ends. I like that. It's just way too much ticky-tacky and all that. Um, right-handed, left-handed, you know, these matchups, that matchup. Then the mound visits, that was getting obnoxious, you know, just kind of going out there in between each and every pitch. Now you can only do five in uh, five a game. That's a good addition. If they add the pitch clock to speed it up, that would be a good addition. And another thing, to help save baseball, which they kind of did this 2020 shortened season, which I liked, but I want them to kind of, adjust it a little bit is take 162 game season chop it down to 154 just take off eight games make another um, playoff round so I don't know about expanding the field like they did this year I'm kind of iffy about that because we don't need like half the league to be in the playoffs the playoffs should be something that you earn it shouldn't be something you just kind of fall into right um if they can just kind of take 14 teams, right, seven from each um, league, you seed them one through seven, like the National Football League where they have, you know, one seed all the way down to the seventh seed. 
you give the first seed of each league a bye, like football, then you have two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five. Play a best of three, or you can even do a best of one. I mean, those best of one wildcard games are nuts. Now that I speak of it and telling you about it, I love that idea because when they added that one uh, game playoff wildcard game a few years ago, those are the best games all, all postseason, all season. I mean, it's just so intense. Everything rides on the line for those nine innings. Each team has their best pitcher going. Everyone's, you know, ready to go. Everything's on the line. That's what baseball needs. And that first round, the two versus seven, three, whatever, that should be a one-card plan for everybody. Or, now that I'm thinking about it even more, I should have wrote, drafted something up so I can come more prepared. But the show is unscripted and unbiased so i'm going to stick to that motto and i'm not going to write up a draft i'm going to just tell you how i think of it as i come to it so seven there's no yes i like this just it's in my head and i'm trying to formulate thoughts right now okay so there are seeds one through six in the american league and the national league so there's 12 teams into the playoffs that's a good number seed six and seven in both American League and National League, play each other for a spot to get into the wild card or the division, whatever you want to call it. One game playoff, kind of like what they have it. Boom. Okay? Now you have the six or the seven seed in both the American and National League playing the one seed. Then two versus five and three versus four, and that's a best of three. Okay. Next round, it is best of five. Okay, and then the championship round for the American National League is a best of seven. And then the World Series would obviously be a best of seven as well. And I just think kind of making each round a little bit more meaningful, we're kind of juicing it up a little bit because you have the game plan. Oh, there's only three games this series. Oh, there's five games this series. Um, You got to get a little smarter with the rotation and the bullpen. Um, Your substitutions, making sure you have fresh bodies. Um. That just gives your playoff some juice. And I think what football did this year was adding that seventh seed to each conference, which I originally hated. But after watching that super wildcard weekend, I loved it. Because that bye week should be reserved for the best team in each conference, not for the best two teams. And um, just, you know, really battling all season just to get that extra week rest is so so deserving for that team that does earn that one seed and now everyone else has to fight in this super wild card weekend which was awesome three games on saturday and sunday super exciting super interesting and i think that was a really smart decision by the nfl and now if major league baseball kind of adopts a similar concept by having the same one game plan you could even have two plans you could have like a um I don't know, like a six versus seven and an eight versus nine. I don't know, you get crazy with it. Or seven versus eight, the winner of that plays six versus seven. I don't know, make it exciting. That's what us baseball fans want. We want an exciting product. And just having a 162 game and then the one play-in, then the divisional, then the champ, it just gets a little dry and boring after a while, especially in what I have on my piece of paper from the topic box is why baseball is dying. So just to recap that, because I just threw a lot out there. So quick recap. Pitch clock, 20 seconds. Ideally, 15. I'll settle for 20. I've said this for years. Um, Shorten the regular season down from 162 to 154. Um, 
if you want to argue for 146, I'll consider that. I think less games in the regular season, the better, to a certain degree. Take the play-in wildcard game and just juicing it up a little bit where um, you have these teams fighting to get in and then they play the top seed and you just kind of battle from there. However, expand the playoffs just a little bit. Have the wild card be a best of one, then the next round be a best of three, the next series, uh, the division will be best of five, and the championship be a best of seven, and of course the World Series being a best of seven as well. Also, I they got rid of like the September call up roster, which I kind of like because you get to see some players that you know don't really know of um, from the minor leagues getting a little crack at it in the pros, um, especially when a team is just you know out of the running and they're just trying to get their young guys playing or a team is kind of in it lock their spot and they're just getting some young guys in there to get their starters rest i kind of like that i wish they kind of bring that back um i know they kind of had a 26th man on the seat on the roster for covid reasons i don't know what they're going to do when the season becomes um, normal or traditional again i kind of like that whole you know you get to see some faces you never get to see anymore or, you know, all too often on your roster in September. I kind of like that. So maybe instead of 40, 32, um, you can still have your 40-man roster, but come September, those quote-unquote call-ups are down to 32 instead, just so it's not overwhelming with your AAA roster in the middle of September. Um, That's kind of really all I can think of right now is just the big problem for baseball is just the speed of the game, the pace of play. You know, fans watchers viewers they can't just sit there for three and a half four hours watching a nine inning game when instead they can just watch the next game tomorrow or the game after that or the game next week or the game next month especially when the season is so long and so fat you can catch any game you want really and just i mean every game's different but you have tomorrow and unlike football where it's one game a week and there's only 16 regular season games you want to sit and watch every game because there's only 16 of them um basketball and hockey there's 82 so it's not so condensed but it's also not so you know large of a schedule where like if you miss one game or two games you're like okay i can come around and watch the third game but if you miss too many then you're gonna run out of chances but um that's kind of how you save mlb from dying lastly which is very controversial and very going to be hard to do, especially in the given current state that it's in and the current state of society with the pandemic. MLB needs to expand. They need 31 and then 32 teams. I mean, you got to largen up your um, fan base. You got five teams in California right now, and there are tons of places, tons of markets that could use a team. You got uh, Utah, you got Portland, you could go for Montreal again, you can go for Edmonton, Vancouver, uh, Virginia. There's so many markets that can host a baseball team because of their already stable sports market that MLB is just not taking advantage of. And obviously, it's hard to kind of expand. You got to have an ownership group in that you know location, but consider it. Really kind of consider it and take advantage of a very wide open, very flourish sports community such as Portland. I mean, they got basketball, they got soccer, they have WNBA, and now if you can bring in baseball, then you can really kind of elevate Portland as a sports market into 
something else. I mean, if you put one in Vancouver, you'll get the Canadian fan base. You'll get the Western Canadian fan base. You'll get Northern North America for those that may not like the Mariners. Then you'll get the rivalry between the Mariners and this Vancouver team or the Mariners and that Portland team. There's just so much potential there. You can even throw a team down in New Orleans where the Saints are. Um, you got the Pelicans for basketball. Uh, New Orleans is a great you know, city, a party city. You'll get fans down there, especially those diehard Saints fans. So this is something baseball really needs to consider itself because, like I keep saying, like the topic, baseball is dying. How do you save it? Expand your fan base. Bring new, fresh people in, such as fans and a team. You know, quicken up the game. Get rid of the junk and then make it more exciting in other places, such as the playoffs. And I think those are some immediate necessary steps over the next five years that MLB should be able to take place. I think all of those rule changes is something that they can do within a year or two. Now the you know expanding of the teams is something that will take a few years, but there's no plan in place. And like I said, this is something that's going to be hard to do because of COVID and the pandemic, but... This is still something that can be worked towards and worked on um, to expand baseball, to put baseball in markets where there's no baseball, expand into Canada again. Um, It's just, I love baseball. Baseball is my favorite sport, but it's intolerable to watch sometimes. It really is. It pains me to say that. It really does. I mean, if they don't fix it, they're going to die and... We're not going to have baseball anymore, and I hope it never comes to that. And hopefully baseball can either listen to what I'm saying, even though I'm a small, small podcast, or hopefully listen to what other people are saying that may have larger platforms and take from what they're saying. So either way, you got to say baseball. Baseball is America's pastime, but let's just move on to the next topic because I'm starting to get upset about this. All right, next topic. Here we go. Julian Edelman's future with New England. Okay, another tough one. Um, I love Julian Edelman. I think everyone in New England here does. I mean, he's a good guy. He's done everything for the team. Punt returns, kick returns, slot wide receiver, going over the middle, making big plays, getting huge blocks. I mean, putting the team first type of mentality. He's torn his ACL. He's come back. He won the Super Bowl MVP. He hurt his knee again, and now he didn't play all but like three games this year. He's 34. He's going to be 35. What can you ask from this guy? Not much. And there was rumors that the Patriots would trade him at the deadline, maybe to Tampa Bay for a late-round draft pick. Link him back up with Brady and Gronk, and then the Bucks can go on to the Super Bowl, which is kind of looking like they're going to. But that's a topic for another day. Hopefully we can get to the Bucks and... Uh, Packers matchup later this week but anyways I I got sidetracked Julian Edelman we can't expect much from him moving forward he's an aging wide receiver who is very injury prone and an offense that blows with a quarterback that sucks but if you bring in a quarterback could it rejuvenate him maybe does Edelman want to kind of go through the the ring of fire again with the gut-wrenching training camp and then the preseason and then the regular season being injury-riddled? I mean, he's got a young daughter. He's got to keep her in mind. I mean, you're not going to have Brady again here, at least in New England. So what, what does he do? 
And I think the Patriots decision is going to determine what Julian Edelman wants to do. Obviously, if Edelman wants to retire, there's no decision for the Patriots to have. But if Edelman wants to come back and play one more season, then what do you do? I mean, do you trade him, try to get anything for him? Or do you keep him and, you know, kind of ride the wave of, oh, he's a fan favorite, let's keep him because the fans love him. After a season where the Patriots sucked and they, after a season where they let go of Brady a year before, you kind of have to keep them just to keep the fans along with them. I know um, if Edelman's traded to another team and he's playing with, uh, I don't know, call it the, who needs a wide receiver? Um, call it the Texans. I don't know. Oh, no, call it the Dolphins. Dolphins need a wide receiver. So say he goes down to Miami. He's playing with Tua or Deshaun Watson. He's got Devontae Parker, Jacecki at the tight end spot. Now that offense is starting to cook a little bit. They get healthy. He's down in Miami. Brady and Gronk aren't too far away in Tampa Bay. You get you don't have to spend any cold weather. Um, you don't have to experience any cold weather, excuse me, in Miami. Not a bad spot, right? Sounds appealing to me. But uh, Julian Edelman, Julian Edelman, love the guy. He's made insane plays for us. I mean, that Super Bowl play on the Super Bowl catch against the Falcons, winning MVP against the Rams. It's just gorgeous, gorgeous stuff, man. And I, I hope him the best, whatever he decides. And I just want him to be happy and to um, take his career to the next level and try to win again if that's what he chooses or which if he wants to just stay here in New England, ride it out because he loves the fan base, the organization, and the area, which I think he'll do. I think if the decision's up to Jules, I think he'll stay. I really do. And um, I don't think it's about the money for him. I think he just, he's loyal. He's that kind of guy. And as long as the Patriots don't piss him off or betray him, kind of like what they did with Brady, then I think there's no reason for him to leave with the exception of retiring. And, but you can't count on Jules to be the number one guy. I mean, that's, I think the Patriots expected him to be that number one guy this year. And that clearly backfired. And it's not his fault he got injured. I'll never blame him for getting injured. But, I mean, in an offense where you're left with Demir Bird, Nikhil Harry, Ryan Izzo, they underutilized James White a lot this year. It's just like there's nothing going. And you bring Julian Edelman back into the mix and aging Julian Edelman, which is nice to have him back. But you can't have him be your number one, probably not even your number two guy. So, I mean, does Edelman kind of want to be thrown in that situation? This is a decision he's going to have to make. And I don't know what decision he'll make. So... It's truly up to him. I have no idea what he would do if he retires or if he wants to come back. It's definitely going to be a wait-and-see kind of game. But I think he's only going to come back if um, the Patriots can kind of get a quarterback for him and if they can get him a little bit of help and start to reestablish the Patriots as a competitive organization because after this year, they are heading towards the bottom of the barrel. And, yeah, we don't want to see that. So I'm just going to pick the next topic because I don't even want to think about that because if Julian Edelman retires, then it's a full hard reset on just about everything, even though with or without him, the Patriots need to be doing. It's just, does Edelman want to be a part of that? And my answer is, I don't know. Um, so here's our last topic for today, and it's the Bruins' need at right wing and defense. And then I specifically put top six forward and top four defensemen. 
So actually, one of my topics is um, Zdeno Chara leaving, and I think that's a huge hole at the top four spot, top four defense for the Bruins, which they really didn't address with the exception of young guys. And they're going to roll out their young guys to see what they have because, you know, they one of the reasons why the Bruins got rid of Chara was because that they wanted to play their young guys because they had too many young guys and not enough minutes to give. Organizationally, a respectable decision. Um Excuse me. It sucks that they had to let Chara go. That's a topic in the box I hope to get to at some point. But, you know, a competitive win-now Bruins team with their window significantly closing, closing, and closing as every year goes on without another cup. Playing these young guys is definitely setting you up for the future, for future seasons and runs at the cup and all that. But when you have a group with Marchand, Bergeron, Krejci, Rask, whether you love them or hate them, um... Are you really trying to plan for the future, or are you trying to win now? And I think the Bruins' approach at defense is to for the future, which, like I said, organizationally a respectable move. Excuse me. But from the fans' perspective, we want to see that you know top four go get them stud defender, you know, like a Charlie McAvoy, but more seasoned. And obviously, you can't just go out and get one off the streets you know, without paying money. Or without giving up a lot of assets. And I think there's a lot of good options. Especially last year at the deadline. That the Bruins should have tried to capitalize. You know for cheap rentals. for uh, As they push towards the cup. Or you know try to go out there. And get like a, a player. That's like a Charlie Coyle. Um, contractual situation. Where it's got a year and a half left. Not a rental. But you're not like also getting this player for the future. And then, you know, come the next year, you can kind of figure out the contract situation after that where you give up a little bit, but not too much because it's that, you know, gray area between a rental and an investment. Um, and then the top six um, right forward, that second right forward or that second line right forward has been a problem for the Bruins for years. And almost uh, ever since they tried to uh, traded Tyler Sagan, right? Uh, young stud on the right side. They just kind of let him go for... Uh, a bucket of pucks and now they have nothing to show for because they kind of moved on from everyone they uh got in return from the stars so ever since then they um they've really been struggling on that right side i know they signed jerome ginlow one year but he was a shell of himself and he didn't even want to be here so what are the bruins doing at right wing they try to bring in all these guys over the years who are either left shots on the and play them on the right side or right side right shots and none of them really have stuck, and they've made some good runs, but they've always been piecing it and patching it together. And now that's a disservice to Krejci, but I mean, like I said, same thing for the defender. You can't find this, you know, good stud player on the market for cheap without paying, and you can't find some, you know, guy to give up, um, some guy that a team will give up on the trade for cheap without paying. Um, like I said, that. Bruins need to start looking for that Charlie Coyle type of player where you got a year and a half left on the contract and it's not an investment, but it's also not a rental, that kind of gray area, and just kind of go for it. I mean, Charlie Coyle has been a huge success with the Bruins. He's a, a local kid, fan favorite. He's impacted on that third line, his third line center, when he's had to move to the wing on the second line. He's done very well there too. So basically what I'm saying is the Bruins need to go try to trade for three four charlie coils right but no um yeah the bruins have always had a uh um revolution uh revolution revulsion 
I don't know, whatever the word is, at right wing. They've plugged and played a bunch of guys over the course of a few years, and really none of it's worked. That sucks. That really does suck because, like I said earlier at the start of this um, topic, that the Bruins window is closing very fast. And with the defensive mindset of playing these young guys, it's not an organizational uh, bad decision, organizationally bad decision, but it is a bad decision when you're trying to win now, when you have these aging veterans that aren't going to be here forever. And in a couple of years, they could be a bum team. I mean, look at the Patriots. They lose one player, and now they're bums. And um, Chara leaves, and you're still pretty good. I don't know. If Bergeron leaves, I don't know. Where are you guys going to be? You know, if Marshan leaves, where are you going to be? And you still got David Pasternak. You can always split up that first line if you want to. But is splitting up that first line really going to be a, um, you know, a smart move down the line? I mean, if you can have one really, really, really good line, and then, you know, your second and third line be solid you know what's the fault in that with trying to you know even out everything else by breaking up your best line I just don't think that's a uh, smart decision from the Bruins and I know they they've dabbled within the playoffs to kind of mix things up and you know get generate some offense and it works for a little bit yeah sure but you know season long I don't think so I think that Marshan, Bergeron, and Pasternak line should not be split up at all and if the Bruins have to make an investment if they were to make one big investing move what would i want them to do top four defenseman or a top six forward specifically on the right side i mean they've tried to make moves at the right wing the right side almost every year it seems like at the deadline they're always trying to trade somebody trade for somebody and it doesn't really work it just gonna kind of depends i'm kind of banking on that these young guys kind of turn into something and i think they will they definitely look nice early on in the season after a couple games. So I'm going to actually say that right wing. If they were to trade for one of those positions and invest in one of those positions, I'm going to say a right wing because if you can solidify that top six forward, those top six forwards, I think everything else falls into place very nicely because you don't have to sacrifice from your first line. You don't have to sacrifice from your third or fourth line to fill in that gap. And now everything else needs to be patched up. I think if you can solidify... Your forwards, specifically your top six, and then I think the defense can kind of fix itself and kind of you know giddy up and play off of that offense, especially when you don't have Big Z back there, right? So the defense is young. The defense is relatively unexperienced, but the Bruins have been in the playoffs for a few years and made deep runs, so they do have that experience there. So they're not a bunch of nobodies, but there are a few guys that are young and hungry without a lot of experience back there as well, trying to fill in those holes on the defense. It's definitely going to be something to watch for as the Bruins um, play their shortened season, their 56-game season. And um, I'm definitely excited to see what the defense can do without Zidane Chara, And I really want to see what the offense can do, if they can fill in that gap or somehow figure it out on the second line's right wing. So we covered an abundance of topics today with the quick hits, quick hits and then going into the whole julian edelman situation saving baseball and talking about the bruins i'm glad to kind of really cover that oh and don't forget the celtics got 30 pieced by the new york nickelbacks so any thoughts comments please if you're watching on youtube comment down below i'd love to hear your thoughts um you can reach me at murphs underscore Boston ST at Twitter and Instagram. Um, shoot me a message. 
at me, whatever you got to do to get in touch with me. Murphs underscore Boston ST, Murphs Boston Sports Talk on Twitter and Instagram. And I'd love to hear your uh, thoughts, comments, reactions, whatever. Are my takes logical? Are my takes smart? Do they suck? Are they wrong? I want to hear it. I'll be looking forward to it. And I'll catch you on Wednesday. See ya. Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.